Good day, folks. My name is John, and I want to say thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. This is Hovering Over the Deep. The church is fractured. The house is divided, and it cannot stand any longer. For far too long, the idea of my way is better than yours has caused more division in the church than unity. While 2,000 years ago a stricter reign on orthopraxy was necessary, today orthodoxy is far more important as a lack thereof has caused flat-out heresies to manifest and lead countless astray. The majority of corporate churches, the organizational rights and denominations, agree on the general principles. Jesus Christ is God incarnate. Jesus Christ is Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus Christ died and rose again for our sins, so that whomever believes in him as Lord and Savior, and has faith in him as such, and does the will of the Father, which is to repent of one's sins and walk in righteousness, will enter into eternal glory with God. One would think that it would be a simple matter. This is, unfortunately, not the case. For as much as Jesus condemned the Pharisees with putting millstones around the Jews' necks, coming up with unreal expectations and codes of conduct, so too has the church. Not only have these millstones drowned God's faithful elect in a nonsensical bureaucracy, it has created a theological pissing match of my church is truer and purer than yours. This is not to say that the God-ordained and defined virtues are outdated and no longer and are no longer applicable. No, certainly not. Indeed, today, more than ever, there is a need to recognize that it is not man who defines what sin is, but instead it is God. Many corporate churches have gone so far off the rails in terms of orthodoxy that their tabernacles are little more than circuses, and those who stand at the pulpit are little more than carnival barkers in the guise of motivational speakers. Because they care so very little for the truth, their form of worship is as nonsensical as their theological understanding. Fog machines and costumes and political flags adorn these places of performance that would call themselves a house of worship. Whatever it is that they worship is not God, but their own efficacy, or maybe political ambition. Whatever gospel they preach is not a gospel of salvation, but instead some empty notion of human justifications. These places have abandoned God's truth for their own and have ultimately made a mockery of the pain our Savior and God endured on our behalf. These places will drown in their own nonsenses that they vomit and spew forth. The places that I am talking about are the places that are after God's own heart. The places who, out of a devotion to the gospel, have attempted a sense of purity in worship. These are the places who, out of an urgent sense of zeal have caused more division than unity. Division not in the clean and unclean, or maybe better, the redeemed and the unrepentant or unredeemed, for which there ought be a sense of division, but instead division lies between the redeemed and the redeemed, split apart by the notions of feuds hundreds of years old that by today's standards are tripe at best. Grudge matches brought on by half-baked, oftentimes misunderstood arguments and contentions that are no longer of anyone's concern. Some examples. Do you have free will, or are you predestined? Agree with one, be condemned as a heretic by the other. It doesn't matter. Both can cherry-pick their verses to juxtapose their understanding on things. Does it really matter? Are both not destined for unity and eternity with Christ? Will you suddenly just throw your hands in the air and engage in all sorts of sin because you are simply totally depraved and are predisposed for sin? 
What benefit is there to curse a brother in Christ simply because both are idly speculating on something that neither can prove or assert with absolute certainty? Both are ultimately predestined to exit from this world into another, so what difference does it make if you think you have free will or are predestined? Both are commanded to the same faith, the same Christ, and the same redemption. Do you believe that the earth is old or young? It's a meaningless argument when you and your brother are at odds. So much for laying your sacrifice at the door to reconcile with your brother before you break bread with one another during the time of fellowship. Is it really such a hell-worthy trespass to burn your brother's house of worship down because you think that the world is only a handful of millennia? Is it really worth the condemnations that are nailed to church doors because your brother thinks that the world is significantly older than you might suppose? Do you not both agree that it was God who laid the foundations of the earth and set into motion the solar system to dictate the seasons, to give us stars to guide our way at night, to give us something wonderful and beautiful to look at, rather than the street lamps that adorn the streets blocking out God's gospel that is written in the stars? Does the chronological age of the earth truly affect either of your professions to the point that you are no longer effective workers in your fields of profession? Such contentions seem to only affect your ability to worship rather than your Sunday golf swing. Do you believe that you ought dunk your babies in baptism or sprinkling with water enough? In fact, do you even dare baptize the babies? Or do you wait until they are old enough to choose whether or not they believe in any of this Christian nonsense? Both have forgotten that baptism is a sign and a seal of God's grace and that it is ultimately a rite of initiation into the Christian community as circumcision once was and still is to the Hebrew people. A promise to raise up a child or a person in the ways of the Lord. But also to a formal outward declaration that you belong to a community and fellowship of believers in Christ. Without baptism... Do you suddenly decide not to raise your children in the ways of righteousness? Without baptism, do you lie to them and tell them that they are not worthy of God's love? Do you not tell them to learn temperance and humility and to repent of the sins that they are likely to commit someday? Is your house somehow less Christian because you chose for your children to allow themselves to choose to become initiates in the church? Are your children absolutely saved because they were baptized six days out of their mother's womb, despite as adults, they willfully chose to reject the truth that is the gospel and of Yeshua of Nazareth? Is it really so damning if you say we instead of I? Do you sing solely the Psalms? Or do you sing hymns that have been penned over the years? Do you have a harp and a lyre? Or do you sing a cappella? Did you ever consider that if you condemn your brother or sister in Christ over it all, that it all just sounds like a petulant child screaming at their parent to God's ears regardless? For certain, these issues might seem important to some, and to some extent they are. But they're not worth destroying our fellowship in Christ over. Did anyone ever consider for a moment that just as Jesus said to his disciples that simply because the people who were driving out demons in Jesus' name and performing miracles were not a part of the group, that they were still part of the church proper? Indeed, if you feel compelled to immerse your baby, then by all means, go to the immersion group. And if you can feel compelled to sprinkle your child with water, go to the place where your child is sprinkled. 
And if you decide to wait until your child wants to be baptized, then by all means, let them choose where they would go, when and if they would so choose to go. The meaning of baptism remains the same, which is an initiation into the keep of the Christian fellowship. If you believe that the earth is old, so be it. It is much older than anyone currently living for certain. And if you believe that the earth is young, it is still older than anyone currently living. But it is still an earth that was willed into existence by an eternal God who is ageless and not confined by any intemporal linear existence that we know of. And the earth that we walk will be here until it is not. Most likely until our bodies have long turned to dust and any work or deed or bold proclamation that we have made regarding the matter is long forgotten. Is your voice so sonorous that it makes angels weep? Is your harp and lyre playing or maybe your resounding trumpet blowing so perfect that it is even worthy of a king of kings in corporate worship? The Psalms today are certainly not sung in the God-given and inspired meter and tempo as David had been inspired to write them, but instead sung over old drinking songs. And all the most aptitude that anyone is capable of doing anymore is playing Christian pop songs with the lyrics projected onto a screen. Unless, of course, you attend a more orthodox mass where the hymns that are sung are accompanied oftentimes by a choir and quartet hidden from view. Well, surely this is reason to burn bridges and dismiss God's faithful elect from his faithful elect. Is it not from God whom the Holy Spirit flows? Is it not God from whom all blessings and graces flow? Even the blessing and grace of the Holy Spirit? Is not Christ himself the incarnate God of Abraham from himself? Does the Holy Spirit come from anyone other than God? Satan, perhaps? Or maybe it was Satan who has manipulated the leaders of the Christian world to think that their speculation somehow makes them more masterful at knowing and understanding that the nature and existence of God, and as such, anyone who would disagree, ought be excommunicated from the communion table. Is there any way you can receive the Holy Spirit outside of God? Is there some secret methods that the Gnostics might have discovered that supersedes God's methods where they take the Holy Spirit by way of alchemy and incantation? Is the Holy Spirit any less than God? Hmm. Yes, there are many, many arguments that have divided the Catholicity of the Church. Catholicity in the academic and antiquated sense meaning unified or universal. Well, some will assuredly say, well, at least we don't have a pope pretending to be the vicar of Christ on earth, to which the reply to that is simply, is not your pastor, your overseer, your episcopos, or even the man at the head of the Christian house supposed to be the head of your church, effectively? The ideal image of virtue, the man above reproach, who is the standard for the family or congregation to observe and follow suit in? Do you not realize that you are living, breathing testaments of the gospel? For certain, while there is a bishop of Rome, there is also, too, a bishop in Constantinople, a bishop in Alexandria and Antioch and every city and all the nations of the world, up to and including, ideally, in our own homes. To whom do you suppose the apostles wrote to in order to have their instructions read to the congregants? Was it not God who chose the apostle, uh, who the apostles were? And was it not the apostles who were entrusted with the missionary journeys to establish churches at the head and at the heads of, heads of each church? Was there not an overseer keeping a watch over the flock? 
And is that overseer, that shepherd, that episkopos not meant to be the one whose job is to keep an orderly congregation, whose job it is to instruct and admonish and rebuke? For certain, it's just easier to be one's own advocate and one's own and one's own overseer, and maybe even one's own confessor, a personal probe, as it were. And are these men who are the heads of these churches not under much stricter judgment than the congregants? Are they not commanded to be the uh, to be absolutely under a singular God who will, in fact, be looking at them for allowing disorder and sin to occur under their watch? Well, you might be able to point a finger at the infallible teachings of a magisterium. God help you if you go against the counsel and advice of your local session. But of course, it does not. Uh, if one does not like the authority they've been put under, well, you know, just leave and start your own. That's entirely with the scriptural context of orthopraxy, right? It seems that division is easy, but unity is hard. The church is a family of adoption under one God, one King, one Savior. And like all adopted children, you have many who would want to be the best and most purest of adoptees. Everyone wants to impress Dad. And while there is something admirable about that, temperance is a virtue that should be embraced. This is not to say that the adoption of sin into the Christian life ought be embraced. Quite the contrary. While it is reasonable to assert that condemnations and letters of censures or excommunications are necessary to those who would change the definitions of sin or try to diminish or tarnish our Lord and Savior as being anything less than God incarnate, Attempts to say that Jesus was simply a man with his with this nonsensical postmodern idea of being a man with a Christ consciousness or simply a God or just a created son is absolutely heretical and ought be condemned and corrected. But to break off and condemn a brother in Christ because you find yourself in disagreement over methodology is also too heretical because such an act was never instituted by the sole body of scripture that many adherents would espouse. But even still, you, you need an authoritative hierarchy to accomplish that. And it is not terribly convenient that like the temple, and is it not terribly convenient that like the temple which God instituted through Moses to be an example to all the surrounding nations who were the Hebrew people's kin and folk, so too did God institute the church, a collective gathering of all nations, ethnicities, skin colors, and genders to be an example and proclaimers of the good news to all the nations. This is what the church is. This is why it is universal. And what have we shown to all of those outside of our walls? Division, amnesty, bigotry amongst Christian brothers and sisters, and no sense of unity. Don't like me? Burn me at the stake. That's how we roll. Do you know, do you not know that it is the world who would seek to divide us? Do you not know that it is the prince of the power of the air, or maybe a more modern approach, the prince of the power of the airwaves, who constantly bombards us with us versus them? This is an old approach, and it's been happening since the dawn of time. If the serpent was able to sow enmity between God and man with a simple fruit, how much more easier is it for that old and ancient serpent to, sh to sow enmity between brother and brother or sister and sister with even less assuming items that have, have, have had many thousands of years of development? Hear this now. There are whispers amongst Christians who have had nothing to do with these pointless feuds. The world calls for tolerance, but oftentimes that tolerance includes tolerating sin. 
The world is embracing a unity of an evil kind, one that would accept everyone and everything that has no semblance of reconciliation with God. You seem to think that because some company removes Christmas images from its paper cups that the world is waging war against God? You fool! Corporate marketing serves only to validate a customer base. These companies do not exist to validate or support your faith. They exist to sell products, and you would be wise to demand that they not use your faith to sell their product. But because you would rather wage a personal crusade against a corporation rather than a crusade against entity with your brothers and sisters, you build a tool shed and you think you have a house worthy of God. Oh, for certain, many mistakes have happened over the centuries, countless, and many have fallen away from grace. For the Eastern Orthodox, they would say it was the Roman Orthodox or the Roman Catholics who fell away. And for the Roman Orthodoxy, they, say, they would say that it is the Protestant Orthodox who fell away. But make no mistake that all who breathe have fallen away from God. And if you believe yourself to be reconciled with God, then you must be reconciled with your brothers and sisters who share the same faith and reconciliation. If not, your proud words, your mighty sermons, your cherry-picking, your sola scriptura, your magisterium, your liturgies, your vestments, your Calvinism, and your Lutheranism, and all of that you proclaim to be the purest form and expression of worship and faith at the expense of your brothers are, little, are worth little more to God than the chaff that he separates from the wheat. You are as guilty of the errors of the enmities that you condemn the devil for producing and not the unity that Christ died for. Take notice that God has taken notice and calls for his elect, his children, to put aside these arguments. You squabble like children arguing over whose phone or video game system or sports team is superior. Pandora or the genie or the cat have all been let loose from their confinements and they have no intentions of returning. In any garden, there is much variety, but in all good gardens, the bad branches must be pruned so that the good fruit can grow and flourish. We know plainly who those branches are and the fruits that they would produce. They are the ones who would call evil good and virtuous, those who would capitulate to humanism and endorse gross and aberrant behavior. They are the ones who would pervert children with twisted, twisted notions of piety. These places, these people have already condemned themselves. They can be redeemed but only if they repent of their ways. Otherwise, they will condemn many with their false gospels. The church has grown beyond its infancy. And there are simply some things that we will just not agree on. That's okay. However, the one thing that we can absolutely agree upon is that Christ is king. Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. Christ is God incarnate. And as such, in faith, we will be graced with the privilege to eat from the same table and drink from the same fountain. In the kingdom, there is no RP side. There is no Lutheran side. There is no Roman Orthodox side, or Eastern Orthodox side, or Egyptian Coptic side, or Ukrainian, or Russian, or Serbian, or Methodist, or Episcopalian side. 
There is one side, one singular side. And the time is here and now to stop this senseless squabbling and bickering. To reconcile with your brother. To recognize that your brother and sister in Christ is your brother and sister in Christ first and foremost. Reconciled with God in the same faith, in the same sacrifice as you are. And it is time to walk forth in divine unity under Christ. Until next time, folks, I bid you good day and God bless.